Yes, hello everybody and welcome to what we call Full Course Yellow. This is the uh, in-pit lane after show, the very after show, because the show goes to air Tuesday night and of course it is now Thursday, but we're, we're here for a chat about all things motorsport for the next yeah, 45 minutes to an hour or so and uh, we'll be joined by some of our panel later on. We've got, we've got a few missing, missing tonight. Pete's not with us tonight, got some... Uh, Got some computer problems, but uh, on a on a sad note, I'd just like to start the program off by by letting you know that just before the show started, I got a phone call from our friend Stuart Fairweather um, to let us know that his father had passed away suddenly this afternoon, and um, you know obviously our condolences go out to Stuart, Stuart and his, his family. Um, his dad was a was a great was a great guy. This is where Stuart got his love of motorsport and motoring and all things motoring from his from his dad and his mum for that matter though they were huge sort of car collectors and lovers of, of cars very heavily involved in the in the Nissan car club for for many many years and uh, and and still heavily involved as as well so uh uh very yes came about very suddenly and uh quite a shock so uh our condolences to to Stuart and all his family over the loss of his father this afternoon, so uh, a bit of a sad, uh, a bit of a sad uh, way to start the program. But as they they say, the show, the show must go on, and it'll it'll go on for a, for a little while anyway, because uh, obviously, not uh, not the happiest of uh, the happiest of evening. Before we introduce the uh, before we introduce the uh, the team, uh, box 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 is with us uh, once again. So uh, good day to uh, to Box. Good day to Dave Howard as well. David's with us, and also to uh, to Tony P. Tony P. Work evening to Tony, and uh, evening to anybody who's watching us at the moment. Let's check out the panel for tonight, and we've got uh, we've got Craig, Doc Ladigo, Dave Stillwell, and Chris Ritchie joining to uh, joining us to uh, to talk about all things motorsport. Well, I suppose we'll start off with uh, what happened on the weekend, which was the Bathurst Six Hour Race. And Dave, you uh, you had a look at it. I didn't. I didn't see it. I don't have don't have Stan. I saw a few highlights here and there that were floating about online. But uh, what were your impressions of of it overall? Uh, well, a bit of a change for 2022. This, of course, is the first year of the uh, Stan and Channel Nine media package for the ARG Speed Series. Of course, the Bassist Six Hour used to be a independent event run by uh, Yeehaw Events by James O'Brien. Uh, was recently purchased by Motorsport Australia and the ARG, so they run it effectively as part of the you know, Shannon's Motorsport or the Shannon's Nationals kind of level of category. So unlike in previous years where we might have had, uh, say, SBS or Channel 7 coverage, or indeed we might have had uh, live streaming um, over YouTube or by an event partner, uh, we had live streaming on Saturday and Sunday, um, of course, live timing via Natsoft. Looks like we had a, a great slew of categories if we deal with the supports first, there was, of course, uh, over 20 cars aboard the Super Cheap Auto uh, TCR Australia Series. Uh, some very impressive performances from the Peugeots. I was actually uh, chatting live with uh, Milenko Vukovic uh, from Vukovic Motorsport in Switzerland, who, of course, is the uh, the architect behind the Renault Megane RS TCR cars. He got to see one of his cars take a podium performance. Uh, with James Moffat in race two, the reverse top 10 race. Uh, two dominant races from Aaron Cameron. Again, very dominant performances from all the Peugeots, which is interesting given they've got the smallest engine in the TCR field, but they are on the BOP weights, one of the lightest cards. Uh, the youngster, uh, the uh, the ginger ninja, Bailey Sweeney, uh, rocket, uh, rocket to the front of the field in the Hyundai i30 TCR um, 
uh, there from Morecambe, uh, from the Morecambe team. Uh, he took out the second race of, uh, of three. Uh, aboard the Trans Ams, it was all about Nathan Hearn out the front. Uh, friend of the show, Benjamin Grice, had his uh, dad there. I think uh, that relationship certainly mellowed, uh, as as would my relationship with my father, racing father, over the last ten years. Uh, ben had a shifter break during, I think, the second of the t- of the uh, ARG t- um, Trans Am races. Uh, but other than that, there was some uh, Nissan MRF uh, Pulsar racing. There was apparently some uh, New South Wales Historic Group N racing, but you'd struggle to find it on the live streaming because, unfortunately, not everything was uh, was out there. And then, of course, we had the main event, the uh, High Tech Oils Bathurst Six Hour, and this has you know grown to be effectively the pinnacle for production car racing both locally and indeed in the region, hence the reason it's attracted the uh, the support of an uh, international tyre supplier such as MRF based out of Chennai in India. Um, so all the cars in the field, almost record number of cars in the field. Uh, they had over 80 expressions of interest. They took 70 entries and I believe they started 63 cars. Uh, Mad Cow, Mark, why am I last here in first thumbs up? That's just the way we like it, Mad Cow. Uh, 63 cars took the start of the race. There were a number of retirements before they got to the start of the race, including one of the favoured runners in A2, my um, good friend Lindsay Kearns aboard the Kearns and Cowan uh, earlier model uh, Ford Mustang in Class A2. That car got put in the fence early. Um, it was a debut of a number of new cars, including a car that was being finished off and shaken down at Wakefield in the same week. Uh, that, of course, was the brand new M2 competition from the eventual uh, outright winners of Tom Sargent and Cameron Hill. Uh, Of course, Cameron and his family team based out of Canberra built the car up. Uh, It was touch and go whether the car was going to make it to the event, Uh, but they ended up putting in a very dominant performance in qualifying with Tom Sargent on board. Uh, Got sent to the back of the grid due to a ride height infringement at the uh, end of uh, qualifying scrutineering. And uh, so had to start a Bathurst Enduro from the back of the grid. And we know how that works out for some people. This is the first time someone's won a race uh, from, I believe, 62nd or 63rd on the grid. Um, so for those of you who know Matt Panorama, if we look at the uh, map behind my head, um, normally the, uh, the the start line's about here, which is where he wanted to be, uh, and Sergeant and Hill were starting around about here. Um, of course, a rolling start behind the I-30N safety car there. Um Great strategic battles throughout the race. Uh, a number of high-profile, uh, you know, supercar and GT and um, and high-level Australian motorsport personalities in the field. Um, a rather unnerving number of uh, mechanical difficulties experienced by a number of the front-running BMWs. Uh, had a chat with Berwick Linton uh, in the days following the event on his drive back up the coast. Um, a number of the issues that struck the uh, Bruce Linton BM service team cars and prepared cars were issues they'd never experienced before. So these, of course, are production-based race cars. They don't start life as a GT3 or a GT4 car that starts as a body in white with all of the you know, road car difficulties taken out of the car. They start as cars that you buy out of a showroom or, in a lot of cases, they're stat write-offs from water damage or ones that have been driven a bit too spiritedly up a mountain road and trying to make them work for six hours in very trying conditions whilst getting the most performance out of them means you do run into some electronic gremlins now and again. But uh, Bathurst delivers. It went down to the uh, the last stint after the last safety car 
with uh, just under an hour to go. Um, it was Tim Slade uh, who was um, aboard the uh, uh, BMW M3, of course. Um, he ran in that car last year. Um, he was holding off um, Cameron Hill towards the end. Uh, Cameron Hill did pit. Uh, they didn't have the best strategy in terms of getting their compulsory stops out of the way early enough. Um, resumed the race after the last pit stop with about a 50-second deficit, but more importantly, with two brand-new tyres on the right-hand side of the car. A safety car within the last hour closed that gap up to about 10 seconds, and then we were treated to a thrilling pass uh, over Skyline on the drop-down into the S's, uh, where apparently you don't pass, but if you ask Richard Mork, um, a certain E30 might have passed him in that spot <laughs> once or twice before. Um, in third place was uh, Nick Perkat driving with... Uh, uh, Ron and Shane Rubis. Of course, uh, that car was also the race-winning car last year, a BMW M4, uh, with some assistance out of the Berwick Linton BM service garage. Um, the story of the Bathurst Six Hour, of course, is the battles up and down the field in the classes. So a shout-out to a friend of the show, Dylan O'Keefe, who uh, took out Class A1 aboard a Garth Walden Racing Mercedes-AMG A45. Uh, this is the Marty Sheargold entry. And then also in that uh, in that A2 category, finally Grant Denyer gets to take home a uh, Bathurst winning trophy. Um, he shared with uh, a local legend or an international legend uh, in in Tony Quinn, who of course uh, they upgraded their Mustang GT into a Mustang Mach One with a new gearbox and the new aerodynamic components that go along with that. And then up and down the field, even uh, friend of the show from the Victorian Mini Club managed to make it to the end. That was the Holloway, Holloway and Brown Toyota Celica. One of the original bait Celicas managed to come home. Uh, their goal was to finish, and they did that in Class D. Uh, class E, uh, the the uh, compact class, got to give a big shout-out to our mate uh, Andrew McMaster and his friends from Improved Production, New South Wales, uh, who ran a basically bog-standard Mazda 3 SP25, uh, around and around and around and took out Class E. They did win the honours in the approved production battle because they did beat a number of improved production Victoria stalwarts uh, in the champ racing Suzuki team. So um, I'm a big fan of what is effectively Australia's biggest club race um, for production cars. If you are looking for a long-distance event at Bathurst, this is definitely the place to start. Um, it's certainly becoming something of, you know, every year there's a new different, different car to have. At the moment, it looks like... Um, it's a good thing that you, to be in a position to be selling new and reasonably uh, well-priced used BMWs because there's probably going to be a few people looking for an M2 competition for the 2023 edition of the Bathurst 6-hour. I believe you're on mute, Brett. Yeah, there I'm we go. Mute. There we go. Um, that was one of the things, I mean, after the, the race, Tim Slade said, and Barry Rogers has now come in and sort of agreed with him, that they're just concerned about the fact, I mean, the first seven cars were all German cars, uh, six of them were, were BMWs, and uh, Tim was saying that, you know, if, if things go the way they were, the, the way it looked uh, the, going, that next year we'll have, if you want to win, you're going to have to have a BMW M2 competition because it was clearly the car to beat, uh, there it was. Uh, it, it was very fast. It was, uh, as you see, coming from the back of the grid, and that didn't seem to hamper them. Hamper them too yeah. much. The problem. The problem is with you. You start talking about things like he was mentioning things like you know balance of performance and all the rest of it. This is the the, the dangerous pathway when you start talking about 
production cars because you know suddenly how how much do you slow things down? How much do you let people you know improve the cars to make them a little faster? Which way do you go, and how far do you let them modify these things in order to make it exciting and good racing for the people who are watching before it becomes no longer production car racing? So the important thing to remember here is that there are multiple different. Um, components to what makes this race turn out the way it does. From a regulatory perspective, in terms of what you are and are not allowed to do to the cars, that's per the Motorsport Australia 3E, or series, what used to be called series production regulations. So whether you're driving a Class E, you know, Mazda 3 SP25 or a Suzuki Swift, right through to top end of the town in an M3, an M4, or even an M2 competition, the amount of things you are allowed to change on the car from original are exactly the same um, for every car throughout the field. So you've got a level of investment in the cars that people may or may not be making. You have a level of investment in development of those packages. So everyone can go out and buy a $10,000, $20,000 set of shocks on the car, but it's spending the time and energy with an engineer who's going to work through a test program with a driver that knows what they're doing to extract all of that development out of that platform. While these are as close, these are the, in terms of a race category, are the closest to showroom stock that we have in terms of a high profile national series, there are still, there is still scope for development. You know, we, if you have a look at the supplementary regulations for the event where it lists all of the eligible vehicles, what you'll find is, is that in the cars that feature uh, forced induction, be that a supercharger or a turbocharger, they're listed with a maximum boost pressure. So all the cars that run a forced induction engine are required to run a boost monitor. And as part of the recognition document for 3E that's supplied uh, by Motorsport Australia, so that's the saying, you know, this car comes with this size engine, with this size turbo, and this is the transmission and this size brakes and these size wheels. One of the things in that is the turbo boost pressure. And that was a bit of a bone of contention leading into the event. Because if you look at the car that won the event, the M2 competition, of the you know three specifications of M2, it's actually the middle one. Whereas, uh, so it doesn't have from factory as much boost as say an M3 competition or an M4 competition would have. But for the event, they were permitted to. Those cars have exactly the same engine as supplied by BMW, the beautiful S55 three-liter twin-turbo engine. But for some reason, for this event, that car was permitted to run the exact same level of boost as the heavier M3 and M4. The cars are within about you know 20 to 30 kilos in terms of their required minimum racing weight, but the M2 is a much smaller car, and with the addition of some components that were allowed to be run on the car, it was much more able to make its racing weight versus the M3 and M4s that even with the lightest weight roll cages and the minimal amount of safety equipment in the car very much struggle getting down to those racing weight. That's the car with the driver and fuel on board of around about 1,500 kilos. So production car racing is always a continual evolution. If we go back to when the Bathurst 12-hour kind of reignited the spark for production car endurance racing at Bathurst in 2007, at that point in time, the price cap limit for production cars was $100,000. So you didn't have BMW M3s and M4s. We didn't have an M4 back then anyway or Mercedes C63, you know, the, the highest specification BMW you could get into that race was the BMW 335, the E92 chassis car. Uh, that's where the cars like the Mitsubishi Evo, uh, Evo 10 at that time, or Evo 9, 
uh, and the Subaru WRX STI. Those cars were effectively anonymous in the race, you know, where they're a B1 or an A1 class competitor. They've definitely been outclassed because technology has moved on. We've gone from almost every car in the field having a synchromesh, you know, H pattern five or six speed gearbox to, you know, with 15 years later from that, you know, again, James O'Brien, you know, production car event, we've now got cars that are running seven or eight speed paddle shifted dual clutch transmissions. I even spoke with Rob Braun this, uh, this afternoon who had a reasonably good run in class A1 in a close to standard, like showroom tune, showroom size brakes, um, stock calipers, even, uh, BMW one M one three five hatch. Um, he actually ran the eight speed automatic because that's the transmission that BMWs run in the M235i and M240i race car at the Nürburgring. It works. You know, technology's moved on so far. We've gone from having cars where the brake rotors were, say, 320 mil or 330 mil in diameter uh, in the front running cars, and they were on an eight inch or an eight and a half inch wide rim. Whereas the cars running at the front are running nine inch wide, nine and a half inch wide rims. They're running brakes that are, you know, as big as what you find in a V8 supercar, you know, 380, 390 mil in diameter. Um, tires have come a long way. Um, you know, turbocharged engines are far more prevalent at the front end of the field than the far more than they were 15 years ago. And of course, the ability to get performance out of the engines is very different these days. So while I can appreciate, you know, um, Tim Slade and Barry Rogers' observation that, you know, something needs to be done. We're not really experiencing anything different than what happened, say, four or five years ago when the first M3 and M4s turned up, you know, when the Mercedes AMG A45s turned up. You know, it is a production car and it's indicative of just how good production cars have got. The one thing I do think people need to keep in mind for the next five to 10 years of production car racing is what's the availability going to be like in the showroom of cars that still continue to have high performance that relies solely upon an, imp- an internal combustion engine? Because that's going to be one of the big tricky things to handle in the next five or 10 years is the showroom's evolution into using either substantially hybridization, substantially hybridized vehicles or even pure EV vehicles. So um, it's one race that gets away without having to use the BOP word, you know, the BOP hammer. If we consider, you know, the big three Bathurst Enduros, we've got a Supercars 1000 kilometre race where the cars, once you take the composite skin off, are identical underneath for all intents and purposes. We have the BOP, you know, big day out, which is the Bathurst 12 hour for FIA GD3 and GD4 cars. This event stands on its own in that the relative merits of the production car underneath are allowed to be showcased. And that was the whole point of production car racing at Bathurst, you know, 60 years ago, win on Sunday, sell on Monday. I'll need to check in with the uh, sales staff at our BMW dealerships to see how many orders they got for BMW M2s over the weekend. You'd know uh, better, better than most. I mean, what, what sort of price are you looking at for that, uh, that model uh, M2 competition? So an M2 competition, again, these are all uh, recommended retail figures before you factor in LC, uh, before you factor in stamp duty, delivery, deal delivery, all that kind of stuff, um, which is what the rules are based on. It used to be that the price cap was $100,000, um, which is why you had stuff like the BMW 335 in. Uh, that cap jumped to 150000 I believe, in 2015, 2016, around about the time the 
um, Sharon family took over the running of production cars. But a BMW M2 competition, I believe, has a recommended retail in the 115, 118,000. Whereas something like the M3 LCI that uh, Berwick Linton's running uh, has a recommended retail price of 149,600 or something. So it's literally just in under the $150,000 cap as per the Red Book value. Um, that allows it to be competitive, which is why we see the late model BMWs, but we perhaps don't see, for instance, the um, the Audi RS4 or RS5 equivalents because their base price is over 150000 It's why we don't see the 205 chassis Mercedes C63 with the twin turbo V8 because that car starts at over $150,000. Now, again, that's the recommended retail for a brand new one. A lot of these cars do start life as a water damage car or a stat write-off or an insurance write-off car um, because, you know, they can't be used on the road anymore, but they can be repaired and used in a motorsport environment. So they almost get a second life, certainly a lot harder than their first life. So what would you uh, say is the solution to, I mean, avoiding the fact that, you know, that we don't want it to be sort of, you know, like the BMW Cup, or at least I don't. Anyway, you buy because you sell the things, but then you sell other things as well. So I think we should I mean, all be racing BMW E30s around Bathurst for six hours. There we go. Um, there you go. Or, 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 or Excels. <laughs> the, um, I, I think certainly for the event, they really need to focus on um, selling the class structure better in terms of encouraging class participation. This year, effectively, Class B didn't exist. So Class B is, you had B1 for forced induction cars and uh, Class B2 for normally aspirated cars. Um, this year, there was only, I think, less than three or four cars total in Class B. Whereas when you look at Class C, the hot hatch class, there's plenty of cars in there, but we perhaps don't see the recognition, perhaps, either from the event overall or in terms of the focus of the telecast. Um, something I don't, I hate using the, the quota word, um, but if we think back to, um, you know, the quota system that's in place for TCR Australia, they limit the total number of cars from each brand um, to a maximum level. Um, Touring Car Masters was discussing the same thing, so it didn't just become a Mustang Fest or a Camaro Fest. Um, given that they had over 80 expressions of interest for the event, um, for a total of 70 accepted and, what was it, 63 started the race? Yeah. I'd certainly hope there's some scope within those 14 cars that didn't get accepted for their for their entry that they won't be discouraged from applying again in 2020 for the event in 2023, but that perhaps there's perhaps not as much a focus on the top end account town in Class X, um, that there's more Class A cars and Class B cars, you know, if I'm sure we'd love to have a class E of 10 cars, you know, have some Suzuki Swifts with some Mazda 2s and some Mazda 3s, get a couple of Hyundai Getzes in there. That'd be a wonderful thing to see. Um, but it's a very difficult thing to try to walk around with a BOP hammer and go, oh, that car's too fast. Because if we look at the two M2s in the field, one was streeting away by over two seconds a lap in qualifying, ignoring the right height discrepancy. The other car, again, no offence intended to them, but they weren't top five material in that car. You know, it's a combination of the very latest and best from BMW in terms of power to weight and the package that it is with two drivers that if you, you know, took another look at it and 
cleaned your glasses off, you'd probably go, you know, one of them's a, a Formula Ford champion. Both of them are Formula Ford series winners. Uh, and one of them is the Carrera Cup champion. You'd certainly say that both of them are either pros or very, very close to being pros. Um, Cameron Hill, certainly. I mean, he's been tapped on the shoulder with um, with Triple Eight Race Engineering for a Super 2 campaign in 2022. Um, you know, maybe they need to look at, you know, how they allocate driving time for a professional driver. You know, do they need to look at the FIA driver rating system um, in some form in terms of, you know, saying who is and isn't allowed? Because that's one of the other contentious issues of the race is, you know, there was a much, um, you know, Berwick Linton talked about building a car for Richard Davison and his two sons, Alex and Wildershare. Unfortunately, Alex is a long-time professional racer um, from back in the, you know, GD2 days at Le Mans. And, of course, Will is still a professional, you know, platinum-ranked, effectively factory driver for Ford um, with Dick Johnson Racing and Supercars. So, you know, Richard can't race with his two sons because they're both pros. Um, you know, they have they have in the rules the power to go, we're going to give that car some extra weight, we're going to take some ride height away from that car, uh, we're going to take some boost away from that car. But it's a very slippery slope to start doing that because there's people in fast cars going fast and there's people in fast cars going slow. So do you want to try to BOP certain examples of certain cars or BOP the car model as a whole? So um, it'll be a discussion for people at a far higher pay grade than I, um, and certainly they will definitely get a variety of competitor input into that. But my for my two Pennethworth, I'd really like to focus on really celebrating a lot of the class performances and focusing on those interclass battles and maybe you know, as an organiser, selecting, you know, more appropriate cars to fill the grid out. You know, some of the cars in the field are starting to look very long in the tooth. Um, you know, perhaps, you know, they, you know, they need to start looking at a rolling, you know, uh, total number of years out of production um, window, you know, to start rolling those cars out of the event. Uh, but again, that then will then become a bit of a problem as we start to approach a showroom that has a, much higher percentage of hybrid and EV vehicles on board. Yeah, well, the other the other problem that you've got nowadays is that you know back, back in the day in the golden era of series production racing. I mean, you know, sorry, could, could you put this? Could you put the sepia tone on so we can we can say we're going back se- in the day? The sepia back in the back in my day, the uh, you had like everybody basically everybody bought a sedan. You had a Falcon. You had a you had a Commodore, you had a, a Monaro or a Tirana or a Charger or you had something something like that. Well, nowadays, of course, you know, like as I look around here, as I go for a walk and, you know, park in the local car park, um, you, you, don't see, you don't see a sedan anymore, not even, a, not even the odd hatch. They're all, you know, SUVs, mini SUVs and big SUVs and perhaps that's the next step. I mean, perhaps we should have an SUV class in... Uh, in the six hours. That was one of uh, Speed Cafe uh, through their Talk Cafe channel uh, did run after the event, you know, the top five cars we'd like to see, you know, one of which was the, um, you know, the Alfa Romeo Giulia QV, the Quattro Valvolve, um, Quattro Folio. Um, that car, of course, is just under the $150,000 price cap as well. You know, four-door sedan, three-liter, twin-turbo, 500-odd horsepower, V6, 
uh, eight-speed transmission, rear-wheel drive. Um, on paper, has all the goods, but it's not as common a platform in the uh, in the aftermarket for getting support. So certainly, a team could build one, but I think they'd be very much, as Mark Scaife would say, they would be very much the pioneer of that brand. Um, you know, take a look at the Class A2. It's basically all Mustangs and HSV or Holden Commodores. Uh, and of course, this year marked the debut for the Lexus RCF. That's trying to do something different, but it's a five litre V8, just like a Mustang. It comes with, I think, an eight speed automatic, unlike a Mustang, which comes with a six speed manual or a 10 speed auto. It weighs about 50 or 60 kilos racing weight more than a Mustang. Um, it's on the same size tire and the same size brakes. So if you've got a car that doesn't have the aftermarket support, is heavier, and probably doesn't make as much horsepower as the other cars in your class, what can you realistically expect to get out at the end of six hours worth of racing? Um, you know, there's an argument to say you can do what you love as much as you want, but if you're going there and you want to win, well, it kind of makes sense to build what everyone else is building. I think well, someone's got a, a fan on in the background. Yeah, something. There's, there's yeah, I check my mute. It's not me. Yeah, I'm not sure where that's not sure where that's coming where that's coming from. It's not at this end, so I'm not sure what's going. No, I heard it right at the start of the show. Yeah, yeah I think I've that's just my mute off, and it's still I still after I turn, hit mute, it still kept coming through. So it's not me either. But anyway, I think uh, kudos to everyone involved in bringing the six hour to fruition, to ARG, to all the Motorsport Australia volunteers, um, to the Stan Sport crew who helped put it together. Telecast looked great. Um, you know, shout out to Richard Crail, Matt Nolte, uh, Matty White, uh, of course, Molly Taylor and uh, Greg Rust as well. Everyone uh, up and down pit lane, um, Chris Stubbs as well, um, did a fantastic job bringing that race to air. Um, as I said, my two cents worth to producers is probably to focus a bit more on those class battles rather than just, you know, who's who's falling out of class X with the mechanical gremlin now. So. Everyone's yeah, well, forgotten. Uh, is it? Uh, Slidey had an input. Did everyone read um, what Tim said? Yeah, no, we, we were talking about that. that yeah, that, and that—that that is the problem with it. But, uh, but anyway, it was in four. You won. Yeah, it, it was. Uh, Doc, can you just hit uh, your mute for a second? I did. I've already tried. I'll do it again. Uh, and yeah, because that's getting worse. That's getting worse and worse. So I'm not sure where that's coming from. But that's getting a, just getting a bit annoying. So, so we might. Uh, it when I mute, so it was fine. Okay, uh, well we might uh, get through. It so it sounds like we've got our own electronic gremlins about 15 minutes in, just like some of the leading class X BMWs. Yes, very, very much, very much so. And like the uh, and like the car that we unfortunately didn't see, which was the Marcus Ambrose George Medecki Mustang. Which uh, didn't even get onto the onto the track. I mean, they went up and did some testing, and unfortunately, they, they couldn't find their electronic gremlins. So it would have been interesting to see those two guys, because um, we saw how well, you know, the, in, in certainly in class, the you know, the Tony Quinn Grand Denier Mustang went. So you would think that with you know the with the, the the might of Gary Rogers Motorsport behind them, and you know Marcus and, and George is a good steerer as well. You would imagine that that would have been uh, that would have been quite the battle, but. Uh, well, that's probably one of the other things to touch on is that the cars that run really well at the front, so Beric Linton and, and his team, they don't just run the car at one event a year. They commit to the Australian production car series 
and they run in either the New South Wales or the Queensland production car rounds. So they're constantly putting drivers through the car. They're constantly getting their technicians to figure out what's wearing out, what's causing them gremlins. So they've got a, a 12-month process of you know testing, tuning, evaluating, developing, you know, building reliability into the cars. So it was just such a shock to see so many of their um, their team members, you know, suffer and all cars of you know very similar specification um, suffer from um, you know issues with. Oh, there we go. And it's not sure what happened there, but yep. there we go. See, you 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 leave it for long enough, folks, and it resets just it like resets. a check engine light. Is it uh, back? Oh, you, and it's back. You spoke too. You spoke too it's, soon. It's me. Yeah. There we go. It's okay. me. Yeah, it looks like it's. Yeah, it looks like it's Chris. Got, Chris has got a problem. Well, that's the problem. You've got the old car in the background. Probably doesn't even have a. Um, uh, it doesn't have a filter on the alternator charge wire. It's probably causing all sorts of havoc on the radio inside, and the spark plugs going haywire. You'll have to get oh, the diagnostic machine and like uh, smack the carburetor with a. Ha- and I'm, I'm gentle persuader. The, these, yeah, the general display. Um, I just point out what 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 uh, Mark is is saying there. We, we're really blessed. I mean, I didn't see, as I said, I I didn't have Stan. I didn't. But you you really, I mean, it would have been lovely to have seen all of the races on there. But you hardly need to to pay for anything now if you just want to watch some great motor racing. I mean, last weekend I was watching uh, I was watching stuff. Uh, I was watching British uh, British uh, racing, British club racing, and uh, and, and GP. Uh, GB3 and GB4. I was also watching the uh, watching the the stuff from the European Le Mans series, and uh, there was there was drag racing on as there is as Mark saying live drag racing overtaking lane on YouTube. I've had uh, have had live drag racing. Uh, the more drag racing from Willow Bank. Uh, tons of absolutely tons of motorsport on YouTube at the moment. We put up we we try wherever possible to put up links. To that uh, we had also uh, stuff from uh, from France. We had Hugh and mate Hugh Barter, and congratulations to Hugh Barter for his performance on the on the weekend. Uh, two wins from the uh, from the from the opening round of the French Formula Four Championship. So uh, yeah, so Hugh, well well done, and uh, they were both on and are still available on YouTube. Did a great uh, did a great job there. We put that up on uh, put a couple of those races up as as well. So uh, good to see another young. Well, I managed to uh, really N- well. Netflix dropped thirty uh, something percent today as well too. So maybe when they start putting some motorsport and broaden their horizons, you can <laughs> can jump on that. Or I saw another deal today. Uh, Ko are still doing uh, fifteen dollars for twelve months deal came up again today. I saw as well. Speaking too. of Ko and speaking of free, um, I, I I found out this afternoon as I flipped on to see what was on. The, the freebie. If you're not a subscriber to KO, um, they do have some free channels on. There's usually stuff like local football, local cricket, that sort of thing. This weekend, it is practice, qualifying, and the sprint race from Imola, and also uh, practice and qualifying from uh, from MotoGP as well. And that's all free on. So if you've Ooh. got the uh, if you've got the KO. Uh, app on your on your on your television on your TV or on your uh, your Chromecast or Apple TV or something you can actually watch uh, I, I I don't know about the I didn't see anything about the, the Grand Prix themselves but certainly uh, certainly there's a sprint race because this is the first 
the return of the sprint races uh, this this weekend at Imola. The sprint race on Saturday will be a uh, Saturday night, Saturday evening will be seen live and and free on KO. So you've got some uh, got some opportunities. Formula to pick One, up and watch some Formula One stuff. Formula One at Imola with a sprint race with Ferrari, two Ferraris competitive. Italy is going to be mental on the weekend. Yeah, also that's what I watched as well. Yes, thanks, Mark. Yes, watch Santa Pod as well. Santa Pod put on a great show. If you know, Santa Pod is the drag strip in England. They put on the most amazing show because it doesn't matter. Then they had a really good meeting on the weekend. They had top fuel. They had a couple of fuel funny cars there. They had some fa- fabulous pro mod. The top door slammer style cars running there as well. But they always have jet cars. They've always got something sort of a circus act somewhere. Uh, great, great coverage. So, uh, and as and as Mark says, basically every week now over the summer, you will see something from Santa Pod. It's always, always worth tuning into. They have some. There's some bizarre and wonderful things running around. Did you did you say a drag strip or the drag strip? Uh, it's basic, in England, it is basically the drag strip. Right. Yes, because okay. they've got far more circuits than their tiny country should have. You know, that's a legacy of a number of World War II air bases being strewn up and down the country. Um, but I, did, I, I always notice, like, Santa Pod sounds like, oh, you know, you've got you know, Santa Barbara, Santa Cruz, Santa this in the US. No, no, Santa Pod, it, that's where the drag racing happens. Um, it's always been a mystery to me how um, um, how popular you know drag racing is in in the UK. A lot of the US you know post World War Two nostalgia for hot rods and drag racing and big muscle and things like that. The quality is excellent. I mean, when you have a look at the quality of the cars, not just uh, and, it's, and it's absolutely huge in the Scandinavian countries as well. So you have a lot of cars coming from from Denmark and Sweden and all those sorts of places coming down and running as well. So the the drag racing, it's you know, it's, it's really at the very highest standard there. But you do also get some really bizarre things. They've got they have a class there which is essentially sort of drag racing supercars. And they're just insane. I mean, you know, these tiny little supercarts with, you know, 750 and 1,200cc Hayabusa engines in them and all that sort of, you know, supercharged and, you know, running with nitrous and God knows what. It's just insane. So that's that's a lot of fun. So, yeah, if you're looking, you know, one, one night... Uh, any night during the any Saturday night during the summer or during the European summer, yeah, chances are if you flick over and I would subscribe to the Santa Pod channel because it's uh, it's well, it's well it's well worth it. Um, now yeah. coming up, we'll, we'll just say now this is a good news story which I saw this afternoon. Wayne Rainey, of course, who was you know mm-hmm. uh, left paraplegic after a, a MotoGP crash. Uh, is coming back and is going to ride in, on a modified version of his uh, his his old MotoGP bike at the at the Goodwood Festival of Speed, going up the hill. And uh, as soon as his his mates, the people he competed against uh, in the day, his main rivals Mick Doohan, uh, uh, the uh, Kevin Swans, and, uh, and uh, one other whose name I've forgotten at the moment. But they basically saw that and said, hey, if you're going to be there, we're, mate, we're going to be there too. So they're all going to go back there again and they're going to have a, um, they're going to have a get-together and uh, just great, will be great to see Wayne 
going up the hill again on a specially uh, on a, a specially modified bike, and uh, that's, that's yeah, it'll be fabulous, fabulous news. It, it's not like they're a half competitive bunch, is it? No, no, no oh no, 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 no. I mean, no, they're all social. There won't there won't be any. No one will look at a stop with bullshit. You know, they, yeah, they will be banging as hard as they can, trying to go faster than anyone. Um, you know, the only thing that'll stop the swinging is the fact they'll all be wearing leathers. Yeah, I, I think I think so. It'll be uh, so. So yeah, so that'll that's that's, that's great news uh, there. Now, there's the story that you know, as, as uh, Doc's going to have uh, to explain this one because I don't follow football. What what's what's the deal here? Someone's selling a thing and. Some you know high-profile um, athletes are looking to buy into it. Yeah, Doc, you, have you got the details? Uh, I'll bring it up again here. Where, where, where was it? Where was it? Where was it? Where was it? Um, let's see. Basically, see the short of it is Lewis Hamilton. I only just looked, I only, I, I only just looked at the, I've, I've only been looking at the highlights today with different things. Uh, oh, don't forget the expo is coming. Uh, well, it was on the GT uh, GT2 KTM is going to be at Bathurst for twelve hours. I will see that in its flesh. Hopefully you guys do too. That would be really good. Where is that? Uh, where was it? Where was yeah, it? basically, uh, basically the deal is the Chelsea Football Club. There's a rumor of a t- mm-hmm. of a takeover of the Chelsea Football Club in the English Premier League. So it's a it's a it's a big deal. It's one of the most famous famous clubs in all of English football. And there's a consortium uh, which includes among it Lewis Hamilton and Serena Williams uh, getting together to uh, to take over. Ch- Chelsea Football Club, so I suppose I suppose they're both cashed up and they've got they want somewhere to spend their money. So uh, yes, yeah, so that could be a bit bizarre. I'm not I'm not sure how reliable that is. I mean, I think it's coming from Sky News or something. In uh, are these the same people that that keep reiterating that VW and Audi are joining for are joining Formula One? Joining Formula joining Formula One, they're, they're definitely yeah. there. There's no no doubt oh, about. There's no doubt. Look, I'll go to a reliable source because it's come up the first on the feed while they're going through the auto auto stuff that we usually go through. I'll go through the mirror. Um, so it's a um, speaking of very, relay, very speaking reliable of media. Yeah, re- 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 <laughs> very reliable English media. Um, save and exit on all. I just asked me to uh, up, uh, upgrade my cookies to, to have a look at it. So yes, I'm not really interested in that. Uh, the seventh, blah, 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 uh, to invest 10 mil, that is 10 million pounds, that is 10 million pounds each, uh, with the Chelsea, uh, yeah, to the following sanctions made, made to own a Roman Abramovich. So, oh, okay, yeah. so it was Roman Abramovich. Okay, yeah, I thought, yeah, I thought it might have been. Save an exit on those cookies, get off the screen, you little do that anyway. Um, so yeah, it just says is is being spearheaded by oh, it's being spear, spearheaded by former British Airways chairman Sir Martin Broughton. Oh, I say very nice. Well, that'll be marvelous. Yeah. So yeah. so ten million quid. So Lewis would have that hiding down the back of his couch. Oh. Serena's probably got it wadded up in the bottom of her tennis bag from all the endorsement de- deals. Uh, so was it Venus or Serena? Serena. Serena. Serena, yeah, she's definitely got that lying in the bottom of one of her tennis bags from the endorsement deals. Um, you know, um, I guess this is one of the you know unforeseen consequences of the you know uh, Russian aggression in the Ukraine. So they're in the mix because their consortium with uh, Sir Richard, sorry, Sir Martin Broughton, uh, there's the three or four of them, or there's probably a few and more Sir involved. Lewis. 
And Sir, 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 Sir Martin, Sir Lewis, it's, it's probably, I don't know what um, mantle. Sir, Sir, Serena. It's got a Serena, yes. <laughs> Sir, 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 Sir Lewis and Serena. And Sir, <laughs> boom, boom. You, you've got to be a Sir. I found something. This sounds there. like a really serious. Does that include Sergio? Perez could be in it too. You never know. Yeah. Anyway, um, so they're not they're not done deal yet because there's three finalists being considered by the Rain Group, and their Rain Group are obviously the ones who are overseeing the auction, and they're a US merchant bank that are overseeing it. So, um, on behalf of Roman Abramovich, so um, the West London, yeah. Anyway, then it just goes on to tell you all the accolades that. Uh, so Serena and Sir Lewis have achieved in their lives, but anyway. And uh, yes, Box Brock was a director. Was was one was on the board of Collingwood at uh, one stage. and was very heavily involved in the. Uh, Got out at the right the, time, then, did he? Yeah, well, he was very heavily involved in what was called the New Magpies, and that was sort of you know the, the pathway, setting the pathway to Eddie Maguire uh, becoming involved. So Brock was in heavily involved in that because a lifelong Collingwood supporter. Um, mad keen Collingwood supporter, and uh, yeah, so he was involved. He was involved for a while. So um, yeah. So so anyway, that's uh, that's that's interesting. Um, I don't know if you've seen the footage. Very lucky uh, escape for Australia's willpower at the Indy Test Day. Uh, Scott no, Dixon yeah. and um, and Mark and uh, Scott McLaughlin. Uh, doing a doing a great job. Both very Dixon was fastest overall. Um, Scott was the fastest of the so-called non-tow uh, brigade uh, there of the of the streaming. weekend or of the day. Speaking so of he did streaming. he did a really good job. But uh, Will Power had a had a huge spin, and it was frighteningly reminiscent of the Alexanardi situation. Colton Herter had to uh, dive out and just missed him. Uh, it, otherwise, it would have been an absolutely huge, uh, absolutely huge. There, crash. there are no small accidents at Indy. No, it's it's absolutely no, it's true. absolutely ter- terrifying. That that's and that's what Will said. He said, you know, he said it frightened the, you know, the living daylights out of me. To paraphrase, um, he's, he's going to. There'll be a lot of drivers who'll have their dry cleaners on speed dial for the month of May. Sorry. It's one of those races, the Indy 500, I love it and all the rest, but it's one of the, it is a race where you sort of go to bed, you know, because of the time that it's on here in Australia. Like, you know, I, I don't usually watch the whole race. I might watch the first, you know, eight or ten laps or something and then probably go to bed. But I always wake up with a sense of dread the next morning and think, you know, like as soon as I, you know, look online or turn the radio on or something like that, I'm just keeping my fingers crossed that the first thing that I'm you know, going to see is not going to be that there was a huge crash in Indianapolis and we've lost a driver or something. But, I mean, it's much, much safer now. But uh, as you say, there is, there is no such thing as a small crash in Indy. And it's a, it, it's, it's a very scary, very scary race in many respects. But once again, well done, Scotty McLaughlin. Uh, just, uh, you know, this is only his second time at the, at the Brickyard. Uh, and he's, he's done... Done fab- another fabulous job. So, well, he's already he's already won at Indy before. I mean, it was virtual, but he's won at Indy before. Well, yeah, yeah as you say, virtual. Yeah, so. But I, personally, I don't think that counts. So any, anyway, so that was there. Um, the Miami Grand Prix, which is coming up after Rimmler, is coming up after Rimmler because a, a plan by local residents to try and get the thing stopped has been thrown out by a judge. The argument that they used is that they were, 
they were all going to suffer irreversible hearing loss because of the terrifying scream of a Formula One engine. Clearly, they have not been anywhere near a Formula One engine in the modern era. So, um, but the, the 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 judge basically said, "Wear earplugs." So, the the Miami Grand Prix is going ahead. So, uh, yeah. So that's. Uh, that's good news. Um, oh yes, uh, Ferrari have unveiled the new uh, the, the new GT3. Has anybody mm-hmm. seen that? What a what a weapon that is! Is a how you say a very uh, speciale. Um, it's very special. It's also very unique in that the fact that it's been co-developed with Orica. Well, this is a bit of an, a bit of a change for Ferrari. Of course, huge for years their for years their GT racing partner was Michelotto. Um, who, of course, were instrumental in building both the GT3 variants and the GT2 or GTE variant cars. And, of course, the preceding car, the uh, the 488, um, uh, the more recent car, which, of course, runs the uh, turbocharged 2.9-litre V8, I think, from memory, um, that car was developed by Michelotto as both... It could be a GT3 car or it could be a GTE car, with a change of bodywork and a change of um, um, and a change of engine and, and some brakes and electronics and things like that, but this, of course, is the uh, some promo video. So, um, you know, yeah, this is, this there, is the, uh, there hasn't has been a it? very. It's the road going. So that'll be a that's the spider or the drop top, the Targa, um, but it would indicate that you know Ferrari has continued to make a beautiful looking car. I'm surprised they're launching it not in red. Um, I thought that was some sort of ethical violation in, of, you know, um, uh, Italian law. You know, Ferraris must be red. Um, but it does look like that one's got a folding hardtop, which is nice. Um, yes, it has. Yes, it's, me, uh, it's also a uh, the road going version. It's also a hybrid. Yes, of course. I mean, that, uh, that hybrid motor system won't be permitted in GT3 racing. But it'll be interesting to see... Um, uh, now that you know GT3 will be coming online at Le Mans from 2024 as a pro-am only category, um, and of course Ferrari will be debuting their uh, hypercar, hypercar um, prototype in 2023 as well uh, for the hundredth running of Le Mans. Um, it will it behooves them to choose a partner who has uh, decades and decades of success operating at the highest level of both prototype racing and, of course, GT racing. We we mustn't forget uh, Oreca had a very auspicious period being the uh, European operator and developer of the Viper chassis on behalf of the uh, Chrysler, uh, Chrysler Dodge Corporation, um, where they were very, uh, very strong and very dominant in the GT2, GTE era of the sport. No, that might have been GTS, G- NGT. I don't know. It becomes all a bit of an alphabet soup when you start talking about that. But, you know, there hasn't there hasn't been an ugly Ferrari um, for about the last 15 years, so it's nice to see this car continuing it. Um, it doesn't have too many flicks and spindles and lots of weird things going on. Um, it actually looks reasonably clean in its... Um, in its appearance on the outside, which certainly does to make things uh, make things a bit easier for the aerodynamics and aerodynamics the aero aero people to work on. There you go. That's easy for you to say. Yeah, 
But um, no, I'm very much looking forward to seeing the uh, latest fleet of uh, GT3 cars arrive. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like we'll be getting a uh, new model BMW M4 GT3 car for the uh, Liquid Molly Bathurst 12 hours. Unfortunately, um, just too logistically difficult to get the latest cars here for a Pro-Am team to run. But uh, hopefully for the 2023 edition, we'll start seeing some Ferrari, um, we'll start seeing some factory-backed teams turning back up again in the all-pro category. Maybe we'll see some factory uh, some factory Ferrari support either for some internationals or a local team. I'm sure Peter Edwards will have his uh, name down to pick up another one of those uh, first off the rank fairly soon as well. It, it'll it'll be interesting. Uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, what sort of turns up for this year because they've opened up the categories and all sorts of things. As Doc mentioned before, the KTM and GT2 uh, KTM. And if you if you go back to our, our interview with uh, with Stefan Rattel at Phillip Island just recently, uh, Stefan was saying how important he saw the the GT2 category in the years to come becoming and. Uh, it's, so we will see the KTM uh, car there, and that will be uh, basically the, the the similar to the identical to the GT4 car that has run there before, but with a 600 horsepower engine, uh, quite a bit heavier, and without not all of the aerodynamics that I. But it'll still be a very very fast car, and that's going to yeah. run in the invitation category, which is where the Mark cars will be running as well, and possibly even some. Uh, some older supercars. They're letting the cars from Super Three enter as well, so that could uh, that could throw the, the the cat amongst the pigeons if the if the conditions are right. Definitely, um, I think GT two is kind of I think where GT three was sort of fifteen or seventeen years ago, where the cars were a lot closer to their production counterparts and were less reliant upon aerodynamics to generate all of their performance. Whereas as we see with this is new GT2, not old GT2. I'm sure there's a line in there about a milk ad somewhere. I just want GT2 that tastes like real GT2. Um, but these are, you know, other cars in the GT2 class include the um, Audi R8 LMS GT2, where they basically pick a, a car that's kind of from aerodynamically halfway between the GT4 and the GT3 car, um, and they give it 650 horsepower. In Porsche's case, instead of starting with a 911 GT3, uh, they start with the 911 GT2 uh, RS Club Sport. Um, you know, other cars, even the Brabham's have got the BT63 concept, which is a you know slightly less um, uh, a slightly less ostentatious and you know um, barnstorming Brabham BT62. So still a steel space frame car, but you know, much closer in terms of weight and performance to other cars in the class. So, and it's very much about focusing on the amateur drivers, which if you cast your mind back to 2006 when GT3 kicked off, it was all about amateur drivers. You know, the closest thing you could get to having a pro driver was having a, you know, mid-50s Tiff Nadell driving a car in the European Championship for 30 minutes of a 60-minute race. Speaking of uh, GT3 uh, and, and also GT GT racing in general and, and even TCRs, coming up this weekend at uh, Spa is a 12-hour race, Creventic 12-hour uh, race. That'll be on YouTube live as well with commentary from the team from uh, Radio Show Limited, Radio Le Mans. So that'll be something to watch over the weekend as well. Doc, before we uh, before we head off, any uh, any MotoGP? We're, we're, 
it sounds like from what he's been saying that uh, Remy Gardner is not enjoying his uh, his debut year in, uh, in in MotoGP at this stage. It's it's not quite happening at this stage. It hasn't quite yeah, happened. just a, a little bit of a storm, a storm a teacup, you know, with the injury. Because, I mean, the injury he's got with his wrist, is as he said last week, he's not going to recover and to get up to be fully comfortable with an up to speed and to be able to probably be comfortable with the bike and get the most out of himself and the bike until, you know, uh, maybe at least until a half year, you know. And uh, like all, all sports, you struggle with injuries to a certain extent. So, look, he's 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 in it for the long term, for the long haul. Um, he's just got to obviously manage his expectation upon himself, I suppose. And uh, they're over in Portugal this weekend. So, you know, there's a lot of people sitting in Moto2 for year after year after year with, with just in, in, and just flick around the track week in, week out. So... Uh, yeah, he's probably just going to have to put it in perspective for the time being and, and, you know, see how it goes because, you know, you can't expect to be, you know, on top of it if you're carrying something. And the other thing is as well, though, too, use as a learning curve, do everything you possibly can in, in all the right areas. And if you can't get it where you want to be each week, week in, week out, through the restrictions you've got, it's, yeah. So, I mean, plus you've got, obviously, the media is going to be, you know, he's, Obviously, with his name Gardner and Wayne's expectation as well, though, too, they're just going to have to, you know, let it settle a little bit. So, anyway, we'll move on from that. Um, the rumours are still circling about Tol Trill and Miller about going back to Pramac next next year. But look, he's but he's he's got performed better than what the other his teammates have in the, in both teams this this year so far. Anyway, it's only because he's you know he, he can't hit the highs that they hit and uh, his lows. Are slightly better than what they are at the moment. So, Bang Yong has had a, a, his his counterpart, his teammate, must be really under pressure. If if Miller's body, um, told it's, uh, well, his contract is up, up at the end of the year. So, you know, he only has to have a couple of good races and it'll all turn around. He'll have another signing anyway. That happens in in lots of motorsports. So. Anyway. Well, hopefully he'll have a good weekend this uh, week at those with the, that uh, Algarve circuit. It's a fabulous, fabulous track. Uh, usually produces some really, really good racing. I, I know that uh, the, the late Alan Simonson just absolutely loved that that track. I remember sort of when it uh, when he first raced there, and I saw some of the footage. I went and I saw, I spoke to him at Phillip Island. And I said that track looked. And he's, he said that is, it is one of the best tracks I've ever raced at. So he really loved that track. I think everybody who races there does does. Enjoy enjoy it, whether it's two wheels or four so uh so that's coming up this week and as i said if you've got uh if you've got ko you can see it on ko but even if you, you're not paying for it at the moment uh the the practice and qualifying uh for the for the portuguese uh, moto gp will be on the, the freebie service as a, as of course as i said will be practice qualifying and and the sprint race for formula one as well so keep an eye on that over the weekend. Hey, listen, I will just say quickly, uh, coming up this weekend for one reason or another, coming up, sorry, next Tuesday night on In Pit Lane, 8 o'clock on Channel 31, we're going to take you down to Phillip Island for the Phillip Island Historic Classic. Putting that stuff together together now for, for Tuesday night, we've got some uh, some great footage of some great cars down there and some, some interviews as well. So uh, catch up with that. That's coming up this Tuesday night, 8 o'clock on Channel 31, right across Free to Air, right across Melbourne and Geelong, and of course on the In Pit Lane YouTube channel. But I think we might uh, call it a day there, guys. Uh, once again, uh, our condolences to our mate Stuart, uh, Stuart Fairweather, on um, the passing of his father earlier today. Uh, so, Stuart, we're all thinking of you. 
and hopefully we'll see you back here. Uh, we'll see back, you back here sooner rather than later. But uh, from all of us here, I think that's uh, that's about all the time we've got for you on Full Course Yellow. So until we see you next week at nine o'clock. Thursday night Melbourne time and whatever time it is when you're watching or listening thanks for joining us and from all of us until we see you next week from everyone at Inpit Lane and Full Course Yellow it's bye for now.